Amen. Hallelujah. You with us? All right. Uh, If you have your Bibles, um, I want you to open them to Philippians chapter 2. That's going to be the verse we read together. That won't be for a bit, but I just want you to have that saved. Uh, And I'm going to preach tonight. Uh, We're still on this We Are Family series and just kind of going through the dynamics and characteristics of what a healthy family is. The last three weeks have been, uh, we've been talking on the cross and it's about suffering love and, and our core values, if you were to get online and, and read them or uh, any of the other materials that, that have them. Uh, the one is suffering love, uh, which just talks about the reality that in this life there's suffering and there's pain. And we, uh, we live centered around a, a gospel and a message that promotes the cross as the central feature and aim of, of this movement called Christianity. And the cross is not uh, triumphant. The cross is... Uh, is a place of death, and uh, we associate it with the resurrection, and, and that's that's uh, not incorrect. Um, but it in itself is not is not pleasant. It's not comfortable. Um, but at the same time, we also uh, triumph a message that has an empty tomb. Right? It was cool yesterday. Uh, yesterday, um, my Facebook feed popped up, and it was my memory from like five years ago. You know how it does that. And I, it was, uh, I was at the Garden Tomb in Jerusalem five years ago on Easter morning. And I was like, wow, what a good memory. And uh, that's also this triumphant message is that the tomb's empty. I was there. There's nobody in there. It's really clean and it smells great. So uh, that's good news. And what that means for us today is that in, in, in our core values, the next one that we have is, is joy. It's on joy. And it's, uh, we, we borrow some of C.S. Lewis's language where he says, God is serious about joy. And I love that. I love that we have a very joyful king and a joyful kingdom to look forward to. Um, so I'm just going to read what this core value says, and then I'm going to preach a message on joy and the place, uh, the significant place I believe it should have within the Christian life. Um, so this is, this is our words that we've crafted um, for our, our core value here. It says, in the words of C.S. Lewis, we believe God is serious about joy. Joy is not a suggestion, but the very energy and strength that compels us forward into the upward call of God. In his presence is fullness of joy, and therefore, in any and every circumstance, we have access to a joy that outweighs, outlasts, and overcomes all the suffering of this life. Amen? So we're very much caught in paradox and tension in that we live in a life that is riddled with suffering but we also serve a God who has fullness of joy, right? And we have, to, we have to be able to embody both of these things. And so that's why I like preaching on suffering and joy back to back. It's kind of fun. It stretches me a little bit. So has anybody heard of a man named John Wesley? Right? Any Nazarenes, Methodists, Assemblies of God, they would know him. He's kind of the founding father of Methodism is what he um, that's what he actually kind of started, his followers started, um, which then kind of, it's branched into a number of different streams, but what we call the Wesleyan Holiness Movement. Um, and it's now, I believe the numbers would say it's the biggest form of uh, Protestant Christianity, because Assemblies of God is Wesleyan, and they're the biggest denomination, so uh, I could be wrong on that. But it is a very large portion of uh, Protestant Christianity. He's a very um, profound thinker. 
And he created something. Um, there's, there, we, we all uh, are seeking to define truth and to interpret what truth is and what right and wrong is. That would be like the study of ethics, if you were to look at it from like a classroom setting. Um, and John Wesley was very brilliant, and he came up with a tool to help us interpret right or wrong or morality or truth or what is correct, and it's called the Wesleyan Quadrilateral. Has anybody heard of this? Like two people or three? <laughs> All right, so we not, I figured maybe some of you hadn't, but uh, it's a, it's a four-part um, system here. So who has heard the phrase um, that was birthed in the Reformation that's like um, Scripture alone, sola scriptura? Who's heard this, right? Who's maybe even quoted that to someone before? I'm Scripture only. Who said that? Okay, that's true. That's a noble thought. We do value Scripture very highly, but it's actually impossible to be sola scriptura. Um, and, like, I've, I've read a number of things where people, uh, if you, like, every seminary in America, like, believes they're teaching the Bible. Do you believe that? Right? I don't think there's many seminaries that are, like, trying to teach. And if you look at, like, their doctrines, there's, like, five different ones, and they all say they're teaching the Bible. So who's sola scriptura? Right? Like, the reality of humans is that there's many things that even um, color the way that we perceive scripture. Does this make sense? So John Wesley's aware of this. He makes this quadrilateral. It's, it's four points. If you'd imagine that this table actually has three legs, right? This is, this is kind of how he does it. The top here would be Scripture. So the most important place when it comes to interpreting um, ethics, correct, right or wrong, truth, is Scripture. Okay? It should have the preeminent place in our lives, right? But then there's these three pillars that also uphold this, which would be uh, tradition, so your church tradition, your family tradition, even cultural traditions, but the traditions, right, your norms. Uh, two would be reason, right? We've been given a mind that thinks um, by God, rational beings. Um, and then uh, third would be experience. And so uh, these also factor the way that we interpret things. Are you following me? Okay, this is, this is taught all over the world. This is good stuff. Um, I'm going to use the Western Quadrilateral to describe to you my, how I came to understand what joy was and the place that it should have in my Christian life um, as of like maybe five years ago because it's changed some. Oh, thanks, Penny. You must have the gift of service. We honor you. We, we honor you. <laughs> so, so I grew up in the church. I'm a church kid, and I grew up in the, in, the, in the Wesleyan movement. I grew up in the Nazarene church, and I'm deeply indebted to it, and I love it. And so um, I'm just going to read to you kind of this is like, this is, I wouldn't have been able to express this to you when I was 20, but let's say this is 20. So this is like six, seven years ago. Um, here's what I would have said if I would have had to break it down to this quadrilateral. And this is how I came to an understanding of joy that I think lots of people in the body of Christ have. So first, there's scriptures on joy. Right, probably the most famous one, Nehemiah, right? The joy of the Lord is your Yes, we've got some Bible-believing Christians in here. The joy of the Lord is our strength. That's a good one. My mom used to tell me that all the time when I was a kid. Sounds so cool, right? Psalm 16, I'm going to read it to you because it's another one that uh, it's super uh, used a lot. Um, I'm just going to read the last uh, verse, verse 11. It says, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there's pleasures forevermore. Wow, right? All right, Galatians 5, it says the fruit of the Spirit is peace, love, seriousness. No, joy, 
right? Fruit of the Spirit, joy. And this is actually my favorite verse on joy. I wouldn't have known this when I was 20, but I do now. Luke 10, 21, uh, Jesus has sent the 70 out, and then they went out, and it says they were healing people. They were casting out demons. They come back, say, we were healing people, casting out demons. And it says, Jesus rejoiced greatly in that hour, okay? This is the word. The Greek word is like agalao. <laughs> you can look it up. I don't know how to say it. I speak English. But this is what agalao means. To jump for joy, to be exceedingly glad, exceedingly joyful, or rejoice greatly. <laughs> I just, that one gets me. Thinking of Jesus like, yes, 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 tell me more, tell me more. Tell me, right? They're like, oh my gosh, I don't, he wasn't just joyful, he was like agalao, right? He's like jumping. <laughs> At the writers, I don't even know what to use for that. That was kind of weird, Jesus, right? This is a joyful Jesus. And I think sometimes we read the Gospels and we, we just, we think Jesus is this melancholy, really chill dude. And he is passionate, right? He's weeping. He's got these looks. He gets angry in the temple and he gets joyful, jumping for joy, joyful, jumping, joyful Jesus. There's some alliteration for the night. Okay, so scriptures, right? Super important. I knew scripture. I knew joy was right, right? We all know it. Anybody that's been in the church long enough or read the Bible, any portion, you know joy. Yeah, joy. Joy is important. Okay, I would have been able to tell you that. Experience. Um, I'm a more melancholy personality. People think I'm a woo, like strength finders woo. It cracks me up. So I'm like, oh, <laughs> you haven't hung out with me <laughs> on a normal afternoon and evening when I'm just bump on a log, right? Like, I, uh, I'm an introvert, I like my alone time, and I'm a naturally melancholy person. So, like, first 20 years of my life, just ext extremely melancholy. And I still am, in a sense. I've experienced, um, I would say I'm more free than I used to be. I was very bound before, but I was an extremely melancholy person. So that was my experience, just being melancholy, okay? So I'm just trying to give you my interpretation here in this quadrilateral. Um, tradition. So... The tradition where I was raised in, which I would say would be a combination of childhood. I moved, I've moved around a few times, um, and then, uh, then adolescence, and then college as well. Churches I went to, joy was not a part of church. Like, I don't remember a lot of laughing. I don't remember, like, it was, I, it was talked about, scriptures, but outside of scriptures, there wasn't a lot of place for the actual expression of joy. Are you following me? Like, where happiness would be, like, Everybody been to like a Jim Gaffigan thing? There's an expression of joy in that room. Are you following me? That wasn't my understanding of joy from, from being raised in the church. There wasn't like um, crying. There was a place for that. There wasn't a lot of place for laughing or joy. Okay, that was more of like a, like a social thing or with friends or whatever. You know what I'm saying, right? Okay. And then reason. This was what I would have reasoned to you. This is what I, this is what I had reasoned to myself. Joy is very important. I get this from the scriptures. Uh, it's different from happiness because that would be my experience. Um, I'd never experienced really a lot of joy. Um, and it's, uh, it's a reward to be received in heaven. That's what I learned from my tradition because we talk about it. You know, it's this joy that's coming, but it's nothing that I have yet experienced. Are you following me? So I had a, a working theolo theology that joy was very important. But it was different from happiness. I preached a sermon. I was 18 years old. I remember this. I disagree with it now. Where the whole sermon was how joy and happiness aren't the same thing. 
right? And, and I agree with that in a sense, but my point was that, like, happiness is you just feel good and you laugh, but joy is deeper. Joy, you can look really angry and still be very joyful. That was basically the sermon, so I'm sure it was better than that. I actually, yeah, never mind. Okay, that was, that was my working definition of joy, okay? Like, that's just it. It, was, it wasn't, that was it. That was all I knew of joy, okay? And um, I share this all because I had, a, I had um, a shift. I had a change. The Lord opened my eyes. I had a revelation, you can say. Not extra biblical, that very much confirmed what I believed in Scripture to read, this jumping, joyful Jesus. Um, but I, experience, I, I value experience highly in this quadrilateral, um, maybe higher than other people. Some people are weary of experience. Um, I'm more on the, the, the tone where I'm not. Um, I actually value experience. Um, and that's actually Hebraic thought. Uh, if you were to read... Um, like the, the Greek translations and the Hebrew translations, um, the word knowledge in Hebrew is the word yada. In Greek, it's the word gnosko. Okay, gnosko and yada both mean to know, right? But Greek thought is very intellectual, learning, studying, academic, right? Hebrew thought is actually experiential, personal, intimate, okay? Uh, Paul is writing... In Ephesians 3, and he prays this prayer in Ephesians 3. It's probably my, my most favorite prayer and prayer. It says, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and be filled with the fullness of God. Right? A Greek reads that, and maybe it's, oh, I need to study, learn, academic my mind to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge and be filled with his fullness. Paul is a Hebrew, and Hebrews know the word yada is the same word that in Genesis it's Adam knew Eve, and she bore a son. Right? There's, this, there's this experiential quality and understanding to that was Hebraic thought. And so I believe it's very biblical to have a high value of experience. Not higher than scripture, not even close to as high as scripture, but I do value experience. And I'm not, my first gut, guttural is not to just throw it away. Oh, that's crazy. No, you gotta, you gotta let it do what it's supposed to do, right? Sometimes we have poor interpretations of experience. We need to interpret it through the word but it doesn't mean the experience is wrong. Are you following me? So I'm going to take you through an experience that I had that very much reoriented my understanding of joy. Okay, to set the scene, I was going to a church service. Shana, you know it's coming. You were there. Um, okay, I don't, like there's two times. I'm naturally melancholy, but when I'm hungry, it's even worse. Okay, I get like cranky. It's not melancholy anymore. Okay, and I, we'd had this day. I was in a, Southern California. I was going to a church service, like a Sunday night service. And uh, I hadn't eaten anything like all day because the city that this thing was in was actually the last time I'd been there was some, it was like, you know, when you go places and it pulls up like kind of painful memories, one of those days. So I literally left the group I was with and I kind of went and I had a very kind of somber, reflective day. Kind of, you know how you have to go back to places and kind of make your peace? Like after things sometimes, it was one of those days. So I was, I actually skipped like my meal because I was doing that and then came to the church service. So I'm naturally kind of melancholy, having a melancholy day and I'm hungry, right? The church service was like four hours long, all right? I'm not, I'm not exaggerating, it was probably four hours long and it finished at like 10.30 p.m. I was ready to go home, right? It was good. Yeah, it was good. I don't like, I, I like, Good. I was just kind of ready to go home. We get into the car, and I'd been in a whole season of my life, like really seeking healing, seeking wholeness, seeking. I was just, it was a different day than it is now, but it was a good day. And I get into the car, and somebody just like asked me a question like, what did you think of the message? 
and I went to respond and <laughs> and the most radical joy I've ever experienced in my life <laughs> exploded out of me like I don't know what happened to me. I started cackling, laughing, and laughing, and laughing, and laugh. Like, literally, 30 minutes later, they're driving through. I'm hungry. They're going through the drive-thru. I couldn't order food. So I was laughing so hard. Like, Shayna was there. She was in the back seat. She was offended at me. She's like, what are you doing? Stop. I was like, I can't stop. I don't know what's happening right now. I've never laughed like this in my entire life. It just like exploded. Like it exploded from me. I don't have words. I can't ascribe it to you. It just hit me like a freight train and I was like intoxicated. Like (laughs) I don't drink alcohol. That's something the Lord's asked me um, to give to him. It's not because um, that's another sermon, never mind. But, <laughs> so I've never been intoxicated with alcohol in my life. But I'd imagine I know pretty much what it feels like. <laughs> because I got destroyed by the joy of Jesus. Okay? What was the purpose of this? And why do I share this? Um, it's not because I think God wants me to live my whole life like that evening. No, <laughs> they'd be in a, incarcerated probably. Like this guy is a freak show, right? No, that was not the purpose. The purpose was that God needed to see that there was a huge deficiency in my relationship with him. And therefore a deficiency. I was lacking something deeply that pertains to a vital Christian experience. If the joy of the Lord really is our strength. And in that moment, I got familiarized with something I had, was not familiar with which is joy. Where was my strength? Right? The Lord was wanting to recalibrate me. He was wanting to use this experience to then push me back to Scripture to start reinterpreting and get a new working theology of what do I believe about joy and what place does it hold in my experience, in my relationship with Jesus. Are you following me? Okay, so there's, that's, that's where sometimes we can, I think we can make big mistakes. People have a mystical experience. And like there, there is a mystical reality to the fact that, of what Christianity is, right? We believe that this whole relationship, Ashley shared John 15, is about union with Jesus. That's pretty mystical, wouldn't you say? Anybody seen him lately? Right? Like he is invisible. It's by faith. And I believe that through union, Fruit comes, and, and that's, that's a mystical thing. It's not mystical in the sense that it's dragons and weird things. It's mystical in the sense that there is mystery to this relationship with God. And for a long time, the church, especially in the Western world, has actually pushed away this, the mystery because it was, you know, it was the age of enlightenment and reason and modernism and science. Um, but there's been a huge shift in the last couple decades, the postmodern shift, and the millennials are reawakening, right? We see this some in, in the last generation, and now more in millennials is people are beginning to awakening back up to what is this mystery. We see a huge rise of new age spirituality, which I believe is in part because the church has rejected this mystery, and they're going to go find it somewhere else because people are hungering for something more, right? They're hungering for this union. So that's a whole other topic as well. Um, but... We will have these experiences sometimes, and then we will go too far and say, oh, that's supposed to be what every day looks like. I'm supposed to just laugh my head off all the time. No, that's a poor interpretation. 
that's not, I don't see Jesus doing that all the time, right? He did it in Luke 10, 21. He wasn't doing it all the time. But the principle remains is there's a deep abiding joy of heaven. Are you following me? Okay. So I shortly then after I went from this experience, which I didn't know what to do with. It was awesome, but I didn't know what to do with it. And I went, I got on a plane very short season later, and I arrived in Africa uh, for about three months. And while I was there, um, what I experienced in this recalibration got further to the next level because I was around poverty unlike I'd ever experienced and joy like I'd never experienced. The most joyful people I've ever seen. I've ever seen worship. I've, like, not just in worship, all the time. They're happy. They smile at you. They see you and they light up. Like, you will walk into a village where it's these poor people that you're expecting, you know, you're like, oh, I'm going to weep because of, you know, all their, and they're like, <laughs> happy. Like, I was like, I was literally, I was just like, it was confronting me. And I was just like, I, I think you need to get in my suitcase and I'll fly you back home so you can save us. Because all I could think was, you have like a hut and like two chickens to your name. And you have a joy that all these people. People, including myself, back home are like drowning in depression, surrounded by all their stuff. And I was just like, what in the world is happening? It was so confrontational. It like, it was like, whoa, I don't know what to think of all this. Like, is this real? Is this fake? Is this because I'm white? Like, I was trying to do anything to figure out why are these people so full of joy, right? And it's not like joy. It's like joy right you watch them worship they got like a little microphone and a thing and they dance and dance and sing and happy and clap and you're like oh my gosh I've been missing something right it further confirmed this reality that I was missing something that my my working definition of joy was lacking and I came to to this conclusion Possessions don't bring us joy. Generosity does. I came to that conclusion being there. Um, there's now studies. If you want to go, you can type in on Google. There's a guy out of the University of Oregon. I'm blanking on his name, like Harbaugh or something like that. Um, but you can Google happiness trifecta. And modern science, and it's actually freaking the atheist evolutionist out, is actually starting to prove that the human brain is wired to give. And that there's a trifecta, it's called the happiness trifecta. There's three chemicals that are released that bring pleasure and reward into us. It's oxytocin, serotonin, and dopamine. Every time you step out and you do like they've studied, when you give money or you give time or you open a door or you bless someone or you write them a card or you do something for someone else, a selfless act, all three of those chemicals are released in your brain. And pleasure actually takes place. Joy <laughs> takes place. The happiness trifecta is released. And it's freaking the evolutionist out because evolution says man is survival of the fittest. It's a big competition. So you're doing your best to make yourself fit in. And that would that's be why you would survive in an evolutional theory. And they're free, they don't know what to do. <laughs> it's like, why is the brain triggered and, and physiologically wired to be selfless and to give. It's freaking people out, but it's awesome. I know why. Because 
Generosity is what brings joy. It's not possessions. It's not things. This was a big shift for me, and ultimately I would probably express that shift as this. It's not about me. And as soon as we get it wired into our heart that it's not about us, we open ourselves to joy, true joy, deep happiness. All right, uh, Philippians 2, you're there, yeah? I'm not. I got too many bookmarks. There we go. All right, we're going to start with verse 3. It says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And Hebrews tells us that he went to the cross for the joy that was set before him. So Jesus, though he was God, decided to become a servant and pour himself out for the sake of others for the joy that was set before him. Right? There's this sense of the reward of love, of selfishness, of selflessness. And I believe that it's servanthood is the posture of the heart and the life that brings about a deep and abiding joy. Um, servanthood and consumerism are in direct competition with one another. And we live in a culture that is consumed with consumerism. We, we are, um, we're, we're, we're shifted and put there and there's thought patterns that are so deeply ingrained within us we don't even realize them because it's all that we've ever been taught and we're constantly bombarded with um, advertisements and consumeristic mindsets. And these are in direct competition with the posture of a servant who empties himself out and receives the joy that we're actually physiologically wired for. And spiritually as well, I would add, which I believe is even more powerful than the happiness trifecta. I just believe that's a physical representation of what happens spiritually when someone begins to pour themselves out for the sake of another. Are you following me? Okay. Servants look out. Consumers look in. I'm going to read a probably a famous psalm that many have quoted before. Um, and it's, uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it's talking about when, uh, it says, when the Lord brought back the captives of Zion, we were like those who dream and are, you know, we were shouting for joy. And it says this, this is the last uh, two verses of Psalm 126. It says, those who sow in tears shall reap with joyful shouting. He who goes to and fro weeping, carrying his bag of seed, shall indeed come again with a shout of joy bringing his sheaves with him. Who's quoted that before? Huh, maybe it's not as popular as I thought. I quote that all the time. Raise them high. Make me feel a little bit better. 
<laughs> All right, I got six friends. Let's hang out. We're going to do a Bible study next week on Psalm 126. No, I'm just joking. Okay, this is a, this is a, it's, it's a famous psalm. Like, um, those, who, those who go and beg, those who, um, let me read it again. So in tears is what I'm looking for. We'll reap with shouts of joy. Who wants to reap shouts of joy? Right? I, I like reaping shouts of joy. Right? He who goes to and fro carrying his bag of seed weeping will come back with a joyful, bountiful harvest. Okay? We all want the joy. We all want the harvest. Have you ever thought about why, why would somebody, you know, this is an agricultural society. Why would somebody be weeping, sowing? Why is somebody carrying their seed weeping? You ever thought about this? I think about things sometimes. And I, I heard this once, a story. And it was a story of, out of Africa. And it was a people that were uh, in poverty and they were starving. And uh, a supply came. And instead of bringing bread, it brought them a bunch of seed. And they were starving. And they had a decision. I'm either going to eat the seed or I'm going to sow it, but I'm going to be in tears. And they, they began sowing it, and they were weeping as they were sowing because they were starving. But rather than eat the seed to satiate, they saw that it was bigger than them, and they saw that if you plant the seed and it dies, right, it bears this great harvest, right? So he who sows in tears, he who or she who carries her bag of seed or his bag of seed weeping will come back with joyful shouting. I think this is such a picture of what it means to be a servant or a consumer. Because I think every day we've been given seed from the Lord. And I think every day we have a choice to make. Am I going to eat the seed and satiate myself? Because it will satiate you. You won't be hungry. You will the next day, right? There's only, there's only so much. It'll satiate for a while. But the servant has eyes that look out, right? The servant sees other people. The servant, right, sees their children, their posterity. That I'm not going to eat my seed. I'm going to plant my seed even if it hurts because I want to reap shouts of joy. I want to have long-term fruit, longevity, right? This abiding joy, not just this temporary satisfaction, right? And I believe Western culture is like infected with temporary satiation, right? It's like this addiction that is all throughout the Western church. And I'm not saying that self-righteously. I'm saying that, that I'm under this yoke as well and praying, God, break this in me and put a fear of the Lord in me to not let my spirituality be consumeristic and, and, and drift into where it's about me, right? I'm not saying this to judge you. I'm saying this, that we're a part of this. We're in this together. And I'm going to use the church as an example of, of how I see this play out. And, and I see it. It's just, you know, it's interesting how you, when you're walking in my shoes in a pastoral perspective, you begin to see things that you didn't see um, before. And um, I want to preface what I'm going to say is that, um, first of all, um, we need to be in communities where we're being fed, right? Like I hear people say that, like I'm being fed or I'm not being fed. Okay, we need to find a place where we're being fed. And I believe that, and we talked about it earlier with the membership, is that every church is beautiful to Jesus. Like every church, even the ones that I disagree with theologically on like every point, they're beautiful to him. And the Lord will always tell me, Jordan, he says, don't judge other wineskins. Love them and bless them and be you. 
And so I mean that. Like, I love the church of Jesus Christ, and I believe every church has a specific call, and I believe there's churches that I completely disagree with that will bear great fruit and will touch people that I never will or never could. So, um, and we're all within the same umbrella. We're all going to be fam one day, right? Kicking it in heaven. What's up, dude? Right? We didn't like each other on earth, but we're bros, right? Like, that's the reality. So if you don't like them, you better make friends with them now. Or you're going to have an awkward conversation up in heaven. But that's the, besides the point. Every church is the church of Jesus Christ. But there are different DNAs that God has put within each and every church. The, the, the different movements, even just the churches are all different. Okay? And I believe that there is, there's a match that takes place where the Lord puts the DNA to create River House. And then he puts DNA in some other people that you're to build this church. Like the body, like the cells of a body, right? And, and so there's differences. And we need to find places where what is in me and the call on my life is matching with the community and the community's call. Are you following me? It might not be perfect match, but it's just the sense of God's telling me I need to be here. I need to commit. I need to serve. Amen? And there's places where you don't get fed. There are churches where I do not get fed. There are churches where I do get fed, right? And those are the ones that I go, even um, as far as resourcing myself, right, and listening to sermons and yada, yada, yada. Like, we're not called to go everywhere. We're called to go somewhere, right? So I want to preface what I'm about to say by that. You need to be fed. But there is a I need to be fed that can become um, dysfunctional and can become very consumeristic. And uh, we're, we're so in a culture that's it's like, church is like a, uh, this, this, is, this is the best analogy I can use, is I don't want the church, I don't want Riverhouse, I don't want any church to be looked at like it's a spiritual vacation, right? Who's been to Hawaii? I have one time. Who like likes Hawaii? Who is jealous that they haven't been to Hawaii when they saw other people raise their hands that have been, right? <laughs> Who would like to go tomorrow? Who would drop everything to go tomorrow? I would. You want me to preach Easter? Sorry, Lord, I got to go to Hawaii, right? Like, Hawaii is a nice place. We all love Hawaii. Maybe not all of us, but most of us. Because you go there, it's so relaxing. You get rejuvenated. You get refreshed. You get refilled. You just, any R-E word basically works for me in Hawaii. <laughs> Reincarnated. Yeah, just throw them all in there. I don't know what happened to me there, but it was amazing. All right? It was like the best nine days of my entire life. I went last year for the first time. I felt like I was floating in the clouds. I hadn't slept. Back. Like, it was incredible. Oh my gosh, loved it. I didn't do there to do one thing but receive, 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 right? And that's good. We, and, and we have seasons of our life where we do that. That's what vacation's for. There's even seasons of life where, um, like, there's times when we come to church. It's not about giving, giving, giving. It's about receiving. So you've got to take what I say in tension here. But there is a, a trap to fall into church is about spiritual vacation. And this, would, this is what happens eventually. If It's like, oh, I love Hawaii, love Hawaii, love Hawaii. Going to Hawaii on vacation is different than if you're going to live there. Right? I know this because I went to school in paradise in Southern California on the ocean. And the first, like, 30 days I was there, I was like, I will never stop staring at this ocean and thanking you for its beauty, God. By the fourth year, I couldn't wait to graduate so I could leave and go home, right? It's like, I'm so sick of this place, <laughs> right? It, it changes, right? When you live in Hawaii, it's not about receiving. You're not, like, floating all the time anymore, right? You got, like, real life. You got to plant some seeds. You got to sow some things. You got some responsibilities. You gotta, and it becomes different. It just becomes another place eventually, right? If it's all about what we're to receive and if I'm getting fed. Right? And with church, 
uh, it can become no different where I go on a spiritual vacation and it's amazing. Oh my gosh, right? Like the sermon just ministers to me. Best preaching in the whole world, River House, right? <laughs> I hear that every week, not. <laughs> but you know, like the worship's so powerful. I just get, oh my gosh, I just, it's like I could see Jesus face to face. It's insane, right? Oh my gosh, it's, it's just, it's like going to Hawaii, right? It's amazing. That's wonderful. We want to be in places where we're getting fed. But if that's the end of the story, it becomes about us. And it's all about in, and it's all about consumption. And we start missing out joy. We start eating our seed. We start coming to church about what's my experience going to be during worship and not who's God calling me to love in this room. Right? It's, it's, it starts looking in because consumers look in, servants look out. Perfect example, you're having a bad day. I've had this many times. I was just talking with someone that so marked me just like in the last couple weeks. Said, I was having a horrible day. She said, and I just was feeling really discouraged, really alone, and like I just, you know, on the verge of pity party. She said, but then uh, she had met some African boys, little boys, like five, at a grocery store. And she bought them ice cream, and they were like, can we have your number? We want you to come to our house and meet our mom. And mom was like, okay. So she, they call her and say, we want you to come over and bring us ice cream. Of course, I would too. She ends up going and spends like three hours just serving. And like they needed uh, paperwork to, so they could get free bicycles. And they, they didn't know how to fill it out. Filled out all these forms. Talked to her, said it was the most amazing day, most amazing night. I was so full at the end. And I was like, wow. How often when I get in a petty party, it's like, okay, what can I do to make me feel better? If I had more money, I'd get a massage. <laughs> Can't go to Hawaii. Everyone's going to warm places. I can't. That, 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 right? Me, 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 me. Consumer. Servant goes, yeah, I'm empty right now. I don't have something. I'm lacking joy. I know where to find it. Generosity. Who can I serve? Whose day can I make better? I'm feeling discouraged. Who can I encourage? I'm feeling empty. Who can I pour into? I'm lacking. Where can I sow? He who goes carrying their bag of seed weeping will reap shouts of joy. Amen? Right? I don't want us to miss. I have this fear as we're creating this, and people are starting to come to Riverhouse. I have a fear that this is going to somehow drift into this attractional-based, consumeristic-looking church that mirrors culture. Church is not supposed to mirror culture. It's supposed to resonate with culture in that it's answering the deep questions that culture is asking. But it is supposed to be radically countercultural in the sense that it's not about me. It's about the ones I'm called to love. The church isn't a building. It's not a cool worship service. The church is a people with a mandate to love the world. And I believe that there's people, you say, I'm lacking joy. I'm lacking joy. I don't even know what laughter is, Jordan. You said that. I don't know laughter. I'm melancholy. I don't have joy very much. It's because you're eating your seed. You're missing your assignment. They're out there. They're in here. There's people you're called to serve every single day. I believe God faithfully provides joy every single day of our life. There is a provision that he puts in front of us. And it doesn't look like ethereal laughing all the time. It can be. I've had that. It's weird. 
right? It's recalibrating. But it has a name. Your provision has a name. And it's your job to get to know what that name is. It might be Joe. It might be Sally. It might be Ben. It might be anybody that God's called you to serve and to pour into. Because when you give of yourself joy physiologically and spiritually is the only thing that will result. Isn't that cool? So my hope is that we come on Sundays first with a heart. Who can I serve? Who can I bless? Who can I minister to? Who can I give of myself to? Who might you want me to make the priority and to give into? And I believe that then the second part, the getting fed, it won't be a vacational getting fed. It will be a deep, holy, abiding, long Long, like with longevity, I'm getting fed. Because I'm, I'm not eating seed and getting fed. I'm, I am reaping shouts of joy. Right? That's what the world's looking for is joy. More importantly than Sundays, let's get our minds off Sundays. Monday through Saturday, living our lives, looking for the one person. The daily provision of joy the daily provision of someone I'm called to love today and serve them well. It might look sacrificial. It might look like giving money, time, affection, resources. It might be opening your, it, does, it can be anything, but it looks like love. It looks like something. Are you following me? That's, that's, that's what marks a joyful people. There's a joy in that place that you can't get anybody else, anywhere else, right? You can't manufacture it. You can't fabricate it. And it's lasting. You know why? Because you're not powerless. You're not like a consumer's like, where's, where's the next wave of joy going to come? Where am I going to get it? I'm out of money, right? I'm out of time. I'm out of friends. Where's the next surge of joy coming? A servant goes, oh my gosh, where do I start, <laughs> right? There's like, I, I can give and give and give. And that's, 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 that's what's marked me. That's what's marked me of the global south. That's why we're going to India. That's why we're going to go other places because we need to learn from them what this looks like because I'm slow in the head. And this has been, I'm on about a five and a half year journey of just trying to get this. And I'm with you in this. I'm trying. We went out this last week. It was so joyful. Just blessing people. Downtown Boise. Loving on them. Praying for people. It's funny. You have it in your mind that you think people are going to scream at you if you say, can I pray for you? Like most of the time they're like, yeah. You know? It's kind of crazy. But I was like, Jesus, why don't I do this more? Why do I go to the grocery store and it's all about me and what I'm supposed to buy? Why is that the priority? Why isn't the priority when I walk into Albertsons, who you call me to serve? I've got 10 minutes. Right? Why when I do this, why is it all about getting my coffee at the coffee store and church stuff and email? Why is it all about me? Why do I center my days around myself when this doesn't make me happy? What makes me happy is when I make my agenda them. So I'm with you. We're journeying this together. But my hope in my heart is that we will corporately embody this holy fear of the Lord that's like, God, I do not want to be a consumer. I want to be a servant. 
like Jesus who emptied myself, taking not my rights or, or all the things that I have because I'm a son or a daughter of God, which is amazing, but emptying myself and becoming a servant to any person that God puts in front of me. That's what turns the world upside down. Amen? Amen. That's the DNA of a radically joyful people. Amen.